Good evening. Wonderful to have all of you out this evening. Uh, let's turn to Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9, we'll be reading from uh, verses 26 through 29 in just a moment. One of the things, one of the tenets that is very important to the church is that we hold to Scripture. We honor it and we protect it as the sacred text that it is. We don't want to add to or take away what is clearly presented in the Holy Word of God. For it guides us and it ensures that all people all over the world can live a life that is pleasing to God and someday have a home in heaven. I very much believe Scripture should be that which shapes and informs our doctrines and practices within these walls and even within our own homes. I do not believe Christians should create new doctrines or practices that we do not find in the New Testament. Well, with that in mind, can Christians celebrate man-made holidays? I'm not the final say on this, but we're going to consider what Scripture has to say. I know what I was taught growing up. You know what you were taught growing up about Christmas, about the holiday season. And I want to look at some scriptures this evening, some passages that will hopefully clarify some things for you, for they certainly did for me. As with all forms of study, let us logically consider what the scriptures have to say about holidays, be they from God or from man. In the book of Esther, the Jews created a holiday. The Jews created a holiday, which they called Purim. I'm saying that right, P-U-R-I-M, to commemorate being saved from a genocide. And if there was ever a reason to be happy, it would be that our people were not eradicated in large droves. So the Jews in Esther chapter 9, which we'll read in just a moment, began a celebration called Purim. As you'll recall from the story of Esther, the wicked man Haman, worked to kill off the Jews by deceit, even though Queen Esther was a Jew herself. With Mordecai's guidance and faith in God, the Jews were saved from eradication. Esther chapter 9 and verse 26. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So they set up this, this festival. So these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city and these days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews or their memory fade from their descendants. Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. So outside of the commandments of God, Esther and some other ranking Jews at the time created this new holiday. God had commanded the Jewish people to keep several feasts, 
One being the Passover. Another example of how, by the grace of God, by their obedience, they were saved from losing their firstborn. As the death angel passed over them because they saw the blood on the doorpost, then it would pass over them and would protect that particular family. This was a feast instituted by God, but Purim was not one of these. As we read in Esther 9, however, there was apparently no assumption on their part that the prescribed list of biblical feasts should keep them from creating additional holidays. So if all scripture is supposed to be for our learning, Romans 15, 4, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, is it safe to conclude from Esther 9 that it is acceptable for God's people to create special days celebration to honor God? That is the question. Another example of God's people creating additional holidays happened during what they call the, what, what the so-called intertestinal period, the period between Malachi and Matthew. The Feast of Dedication, or as is commonly known, Hanukkah, was created as an annual celebration commemorating Judah, Judah Maccabee and his Jewish forces retaking the temple and rededicating it to God after it had been defiled by the Greeks. Both of these being Old Testament examples. Turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Neither Jesus nor the Apostle John seems to take issue with observing a feast that was not authorized by the law of Moses. John 10, 22 and 23 at that time, the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. Jesus was spending time in the temple, presumably like his Jewish brethren, commemorating its rededication to God, celebrating Hanukkah, a man-made holiday. At this point, it is important to note that the creation and observance of these holidays are recorded by the biblical authors in positive ways, nothing negative being said about them. Some might ask whether or not Jesus' words regarding traditions have any bearing on this discussion. Let's look at Matthew chapter 15, please. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 15. Because as we consider the church today, church, well, the first century church, of course, but also Jewish people, there were traditions that would pop up, and so we've got to consider what does God's word say about traditions, how far can we go with traditions, can we go too far? Certainly. This is one example. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Much of the Jewish society, the Jewish people, many of their laws involve them washing their hands, cleaning themselves regularly. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. You see, that's what God has set forth. Honor your father and mother. That's the commandment of God. But you see, the Pharisees... They had a tradition, verse 5, many of you might not know this tradition. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you, has been given to God. That was something the Pharisees did. 
those days is that if their parents came to them needing help in their older years, in their elderly years, needing assistance, they did not have, of course, the social services that we do of today, but if a Pharisee's mom or dad came to him and said, I need assistance, the Pharisee would say, I'm sorry, I've given it all to God already. I don't have any to give to you, Mom. I don't have any to give to you, Dad. Their tradition overtook the commandment of God to honor your father and mother. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. Jesus was really good about showing the mirror to people. Because they're speaking out against things. Why do your disciples not wash their hands? Why aren't they practicing that? Why aren't they practicing the commandments of God? And, you know, Jesus, knowing where the commandments stood, such as the Sabbath, you know, man was made for the Sabbath, not Sabbath for man. Sabbath for man, so. Here, and they're asking him, why do your disciples break, or break bread and not wash their hands when they eat? Verse 6, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus in this passage wasn't condemning any and all made religious traditions. If Jesus was condemning all traditions, then our tradition of meeting for Bible study on Wednesday evenings, offering an invitation at the end of a sermon, or putting money in the collection plate would all be wrong. Because these are man-made traditions. But Jesus clearly wasn't con condemning all traditions of men. He was condemning breaking the commandments of God in order to keep the traditions of men. If we prioritize man-made traditions over the clear and explicit teachings of Scripture, then we are indeed sin. Because that's what God was, that's what Jesus was speaking about here. The Pharisees were holding their traditions over the commandments of God. The passage that he's talking about, honoring your father and mother, and the Pharisees said, well, we've got a tradition that's even better than that because it benefits me. What did God say? God said, honor your father and mother before taking care of yourself in that manner. Therefore, keeping man-made holidays could certainly be sinful if in order to keep them we violated the commandments of God. For instance, some people speak of Christmas as though it is Scripture and that you should keep it. Well, let's keep it where it should be. It is man-made. It is a man-made tradition that honors the birth of Christ. As I said this morning, it can be an interesting evangelical tool, however. For the baby Jesus is easier for some people to accept. And in some ways, he does have to start small in the hearts and minds of people. Maybe that's one way we can get into their hearts is with the story of the birth of Christ, which as I spoke of this morning is a beautiful story indeed. Well, what days do we celebrate? There are other traditions that we have that are man-made holidays that go outside of our Christian realm, such as honoring our military, which is a great thing. Several holidays do this, Flag Day, Independence Day, Memorial Day. And if you are really specific, some of you former military may know this, each branch of the military has its own birthday that people recognize. Everyone here celebrates their birthday. Uh, we had the Sadler Birthday December event last night where we celebrated six birthdays. So, big deal in the Sadler family. So those days are important. We also have days that celebrate consumerism, such as Black Friday, and Super Bowl Sunday, 
It is traditions like this that bring us together as people and as families through a shared common experience. Well, special days came up in the days of Paul as well. Let's look at Romans 14. How did Paul handle this whenever he spoke to the Romans? Romans chapter 14. Of course, I looked up special holidays for the Romans. Uh, I saw this long list and I said, wow, there's a lot. So there you are. The Romans had a long list. And so here we are in the early days of the church. The Romans have converted to Christianity. They are now following Christ. They have left their pagan gods. But what is oftentimes difficult to break? Old habits. And so keeping special days might have been an issue for them. Also, coming into contact with their new brothers in Christ who were once Jewish, who would still be wanting to think about at least and commemorate special days, wouldn't you think those two would conflict? So here we are. Here we are with how Paul handles this in a very diplomatic fashion. Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. So one day is special to one person, while another person doesn't see any difference. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. So that's one of the things we're talking about here. Whatever you do, do it to honor God. That's what he's talking about in verse 6. He who observes the day, whether you observe it one day higher than the X or the all, all of them the same, whoever observes it, observe it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Paul specifically taught the Roman church to allow their brethren to observe certain days in honor of the Lord, verse 6, without judging or despising them, as we see in verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you regard your brother with contempt? He will stand before the judgment seat, and so will you. Of course, the other side of Paul's argument is that if someone abstains from observing a certain day, as long as he abstains in honor of the Lord, he should not be despised or judged for abstaining. It's important to notice that Paul is intentionally general here and not specific in his instructions about the observance of which special days. Therefore, we must not limit the application of this passage to Jewish observances or other first century issues. The only qualifier Paul gives is that the observance must be in honor of the Lord. If a Christian observes a day in honor of the Lord, then it is not any other Christian's place to judge him. Thus the thrust of verse 7, for, we not, for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. 
So we've got to get along because any, everything we do, we've got to be able to get along and live with each other, live for each other, and do it all in honor of the Lord. We must conclude if someone wants to celebrate the birth of Jesus in a special way during December, then he ought not to be judged for doing so. But if, on the other hand, someone does not wish to celebrate Jesus' resurrection or birth in a special way, then he should not be judged or despised for his choice, according to this passage. This reflects back on the restoration movement adage of in essentials unity, in non-essentials opinion, and in all things love. Many people come out of denominations who practice such things, such as holidays, that they bound that they bound within their walls. And so they have a difficult time with this, and I understand. But we must always consider Scripture as our guide and see to it that we find its wisdom and apply it in all things. Some might say, but aren't we supposed to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday and not just one Sunday a year? I couldn't agree more. I believe we have rightly inferred from Scripture and history that early Christians met on Sundays because Jesus was raised there. However, an annual celebration of Jesus' resurrection like Easter does not negate our weekly celebration any more than a wedding anniversary negates a husband telling his wife, I love you daily. They are not mutually exclusive. You can celebrate the birth or resurrection of Jesus weekly and would they not be able to be celebrated annually as well? Galatians chapter 4 might be another passage someone might reference. Galatians chapter 4 in verse 3. During the early days of the church, this was battled a lot. As Jews coming out of the Jewish belief system would have a tough time. Oh wait, is this a Jewish practice or is this a Christian practice? And sometimes I'm sure there'd be a lot of overlapping. That's what Paul is handling here. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, we're coming out of the old law. We're no longer children. God sent his son. The fullness has happened. Now we live and obey him in a new way, under a new law. Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things? You're going back to your old ways. You know God now. You're close to him. The phrase Abba, Father, is a term of endearment. We might use the phrase, the phrase daddy or something like that as a term of endearment. But now Paul tells the Galatians, hey, you're going back to the way you used to live, back to your old ways, back under the old law. So how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desired to be enslaved all over again? 
You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labor, labored over you in vain. Paul was worried. You're going back to those old ways, to those observation of days. You're, you're going back to what you used to do. And Paul is not arguing it is inherently wrong for someone to observe special days any more than he is arguing it is inherently wrong for a male to be circumcised. He was admonishing the Galatians because they were being convinced that keeping the law of Moses, including feast days, including the kosher diet and circumcision, was necessary to be a part of God's covenant people. So they were taking those old practices and applying them to Christianity, when in fact, as we know today, Hebrews 9, Jeremiah 31, those things have been done away with. Well, that was a difficult habit for them to break. Something that they had been taught since they were very, very little. To practice and to hold these things. And now Christ has come and now, now they've got to stop that. And Paul's having to, to fight this battle of saying, you don't have to practice those ways anymore. You're a Christian now. You've been baptized. Now you are following Christ. But they were trying to return back to those old ways and say, no, we've got to do these things. No, it's been done away with. I've not read, I've not written Hebrews yet. But I'm going to get to that. We're going to talk about how that was done away with. Paul would later on go to say. So if someone tries to convince you that you must observe, that you must observe the Passover or the Sabbath, or Purim for that matter, in order to be right with God, then they would be violating this passage. And even Christmas for that matter. That if you have to follow and observe that as Christmas, then they would be wrong. Because it's not found in Scripture. I know of no principle, command, example, or implication of Scripture through this study that is violated by observing special days in honor of the Lord. In fact, Scripture seems to specifically allow for this practice. But most importantly, we must be careful not to judge and despise one another over these things, but welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. I hope this has brought more clarity, not more confusion, to the holiday season. And I hope that you will enjoy the rest of this week and next week as we begin a new year. The very best way that you can. And as every day as we should, in honor of the Lord. And if you are not honoring the Lord every day as you should, make the change tonight and become a New Testament Christian and get away from the sins of your old life and start afresh, start new this evening. There's going to be more days, <laughs> have more sun. It's going to be brighter days ahead for you if you become a Christian tonight. Do so now as we stand and sing.